0: From his first job flipping burgers at McDonald's and delivering the Washington Post, Craig Willett counts only one and a half years of his adult life working for someone else. Welcome to the Biz Sherpa Podcast with your host, Craig Willett, founder of several multi million dollar businesses and trusted advisor to other business owners. He's giving back to help business owners and aspiring entrepreneurs achieve fulfillment, enhance their lives, and create enduring wealth. The Biz Sherpa.
1: This is Craig Willett, the Biz Sherpa. I'm glad you could join me today. I'm in Springville, Utah with Little Giant Ladder Systems. I'm grateful that they are friends of mine and that they would allow me to come to their offices today. I have the opportunity to visit with Ryan Moss, who's the CEO of Little Giant Ladder Systems. I think you'll find some insights here that will be good for each of us to think about. Ryan has a different path to business ownership than a lot of people. And he has a lot of innovative background, and I think he'll be an inspiration to those who will take the time to watch the entire video today. Welcome, Ryan.
0: Thanks, Greg, appreciate you having me on.
1: You know, this is a great opportunity for me. Not everyone that's a business owner started out the way you did. When you started with Little Giant Ladders, how many employees were there?
0: Boy, there weren't very many at that time. There might have been, uh, oh, probably thirty-five, maybe forty on the outside, but really not not that many.
1: And what was your initial role with the company?
0: So I actually started uh, in manufacturing. Um, I, I. tease a little bit. I started at $4.50 an hour, and I've just recently got a raise to five. But um, <laughs> uh, but anyway, yeah, I started in manufacturing. I was uh, punching rung and bending channel, sweeping floors, and just uh, part of the manufacturing process. And how many years ago was that? Uh, we're coming up on 37 years now. Wow. That's quite
1: a bit of time with the company. I think that says probably a lot to why you're still here, your dedication. So with 35 employees, you saw a lot of different things happen. In the history of wing enterprises or little giant ladder systems, I know the company was sold by the family at one point. You were working with the company then, weren't you, when they sold it?
0: I was, yeah. It was uh, sold to a a company by the name of Technical Equities. uh, there was uh, a kind of, a, I guess, a shady um, <laughs> group that was running that, or, or at least an individual that ended up uh, causing some trouble um, with that company and, and ultimately at its uh, demise. And um, because of all that, Hal, uh, Hal Wing, who was the original founder of Little Giant Ladders, uh, went back and uh, bought all the assets of Little Giant and started over again.
1: And you were with them through that transition. I was. What, what role did you play in the restart of Little Giant Ladders?
0: So um, I had only been with the company for two years, still in manufacturing, when all of that took place. And uh, as uh, Hal bought back the assets and opened a facility here in, in Springville... Uh, I was made the shop foreman, uh, which was kind of terrifying. I was pretty young at the time. I was 23 years old, and a lot of the guys working for, for me were double my age. And uh, But anyway, uh, Hal saw something in me that uh, maybe I didn't see in myself. I don't know. But he gave me the opportunity to, to to be the shop foreman over this new facility.
1: And what did you do with those responsibilities once you got comfortable and settled into the the major
0: task ahead. I think for me, um, really the way to understand um, how to be a good leader was to get right in with those people that were working on the line. And uh, so I got involved in the challenges that we were facing in, in producing. At that time, we were producing hinges and ladders, four hinges and that type of thing, and really got involved in what does it take to um, to build these, and what are the challenges? i I used to maybe had a different view of I'm just making this stuff, and I didn't really care so much about what the challenge were that were involved. <laughs> but um, you know, in a leadership role, then it's well, what what challenges are we having as far as getting materials or being able to produce enough on time and those type of things? So it really kind of changed my perspective by getting closer to the the guy on the line to really understand what challenges he was having and then how could I help him.
1: So where did you learn this leadership? I mean, you didn't have, did you have a formal education in leadership?
0: Um, Actually, no. Um, I have a uh, high school diploma. Um, And at that, maybe uh, I I often say an 11th grade education because my (laughs) senior year was uh, spent in all gym classes. <laughs> so, <laughs> so you aced have... <laughs> everything else for the 11th grade and you can just yeah, play. Yeah. So I didn't out. really, have, I did have to have one English credit of which I took Spanish for that. But <laughs> um, anyway, uh, formal education, uh, I really don't have much, anything past high school. I do read a lot, but. Uh, I will tell you that I was blessed with good parents that um, provided a lot of opportunities for me to work, um, small farm, farm, and lots of things to do, and and I was uh, really engaged from a young age at taking care of responsibilities that I I had on a you know on a small farm, and so I give a lot of credit to my parents um, for. Um, making sure that I knew how to work and how to problem solve. So you were able to take
1: those hardworking attributes and problem solve to, to take it to the shop floor and figure out where the snags or difficulties were to make it more yeah. effective. So where, when next did you capture the attention of Hal Wing, who, by the way, is the founder of this company? How did you take what you were learning on the shop floor and take it to him as the owner and and president of the company?
0: I think I I, uh, captured um, his attention early on. Um, You know, I was recommended by uh, Jeff Dinsdale, who at the time was over manufacturing to fill that um, shop foreman role. And uh, it was early on where we were having some, some challenges in uh, meeting some demand. Um, and uh, as we were trying to resolve some of those supply um, challenges, I had uh, come across a couple of uh, large containers of parts that had been set aside um, potentially, I can't remember if it was for quality issues or some type of issues. And we, anyway, we went through all of those and were able to glean enough good parts to be able to supply the demand. And that that got back to uh, Hal, and he came out and had talked to me about that. And really, it was uh, one of those early experiences that um, he really kind of caught his eye. And and he said, I just don't think we've seen like that kind of approach before. And and um, I think we really thought a lot alike and in problem solving and in um, kind of work ethic and hustle and, and ingenuity. And it, we, we just saw a lot of things eye to eye. And so well, we became friends over the years, but I think mostly because um, we you know, shared similar values.
1: That's interesting. You know, Elon Musk recently was quoted as saying that we have too many MBAs in the world. We need people who can set aside the financial statements and learn to innovate and do that. And so you mentioned that you and Hal probably bonded or had found common ground on ingenuity and innovation. So not only solving that on the shop floor, I sat in board meetings where I saw you present new product inventions that you came up with. What role did some of the innovations that you have come up with or that your team has come up with? Because I know you won't take the credit. You're too humble, but I'll attribute it to you and so I can embarrass you for a minute. But
0: Well, you're going I, to. <laughs> I know the
1: truth. <laughs> um, you can't pull the wool over my eyes on that one. But I, I know that through your innovation, there, there were probably periods of time where, where the company being uh, kind of a, a one ladder, one trick pony, it became something more than that. And maybe tell us a little bit about that, some inflection point in the company where your ability to innovate and where there were demands and other opportunities for your ladders to fill other markets than what you were penetrating at the time. How'd you go
0: about that? Sure, maybe I can answer this with a little bit of a little bit of a story, a little bit of history, because um, (laughs) um, so you mentioned us being a one-trick pony. Um, I I specifically recall a time. uh, In fact, I will never forget the time where many of us were around a conference room table in the old Springville facility, and. We were having a meeting, not sure about what, somebody brought in a USA Today newspaper and spread it out and laid it out on the conference room table. And there was a full page ad of an identical replica of our product. And now we had really one product in a few sizes. It was the aluminum articulating ladder. um, And they showed this product that said, now available at Home Depot for $199. Now, we sold that product and were the originator of that product um, at $400 or $399. So it was exactly half the price. And you can imagine kind of the gut shot that took place in that that conference room. And uh, the ripple went through the company. Um, We later learned that uh, this company that had... um, uh, this replica of our product had went to the home and garden shows, bought the ladder from our salesman, sent Mm -hmm. it to China, uh, told them to copy it identically to not change anything. In fact, they copied it so closely that you could interchange the parts from our ladders and their ladders. That's how close everything was. Same kind
1: of materials uh, or different materials?
0: Similar materials. Um, but uh, they even copied the die lines from the extruders. They didn't know why they were copying things, but uh, die lines are, are identification marks from extruders, and they even copied those. Yeah. But um, so here we had this, you know, kind of gut shot that ran through the, uh, through the company, and uh, we had salesmen saying, you know, I'll never be able to sell another ladder again. How long are we going to be able to hold on? Are we going to make it? I need, you know, I got a mortgage and kids to put through college and food on the table. Should I start looking for a new job? Um, and so you can imagine there was there was some time that uh, that was really concerning for the company. We had a couple of different meetings on uh, what can we do, and ultimately uh, uh, proposed uh, to do an infomercial. Um, Now, anybody that knows Little Giant's history today say, yeah, that was genius. Well, um, I think we were blessed (laughs) because (laughs) what we know about infomercials today is only one out of a hundred work. And when we say work, that means that they may be broke even, but drove some retail sales. Ours was wildly successful. Um, We, uh, uh, well, let let me back up for just a second. Hal wasn't quite sure, like what is this infomercial thing? How is it going to work? And we talked about it a few a uh, few times. And he finally said, "Okay, let's do this," because there was two years left on the patents, um, so we could either fight legally. But in the end, if we win, we lose because That's the we, patents expire it, anyway. patent expire. The patent to be expired at that point, or take a different approach. So the infomercial was the other approach.
1: So the infomercial idea was so that you could capture the market. Really? As yeah. the innovator, is the original. The original,
0: right? Because it, we weren't in big boxes. And so it was going to look the other way around that this one, this knockoff was in Home Depot was the original. And we're this little company copying. You have to think about it. This was all in two thousand uh End of 2002, 2003, we had had the Twin Towers go down in 2001, so the economy was going down. And so we had had a 20% drop in sales at that time. And then we have this price competition. um, Boy, it was tough. Um, We didn't have the money to fight legally or to really do anything else. And Hal had a little farm down here in Springville, went to the bank, and he leveraged, he bet the farm on this infomercial. Uh, borrowed a million dollars. And we went to work, spent about eight months putting that uh, all together. And uh, there was a whole new excitement in this company that, you know, we're going to shout to the world that we're the original, we're the best, made in America, all those kinds of things. Right, so take pride in your product and let everybody know let what it is. Know, and uh, it was going to be this branding exercise. And so anyway, we got already did the first spot
1: but you didn't know that very few were successful.
0: We had no idea. We had no idea statistically that we were in, in a rough way as far as what, the, more than likely you would lose the money and your effort would be nothing kind right. of thing. Because you didn't really have, didn't a have retail that. outlet to and, sell. And we, when we did our first airing, although it was a small test airing, um We, you know, everybody's waiting for those results. We get them at the end of the day and uh, had run after a million dollars and eight months in time, we had received four phone calls and sold one ladder. Wow. And another gut shot hit and it was like, oh, wow, we've spent all this money and all this time and we sold one ladder. And as you can imagine, all the emotions came back again. How long are we going to be able to hold on? We're not going to make it. Fortunately, we had some good people helping us with the infomercial and they said a 25% close rate is pretty good. And we
1: said, <laughs> yeah, but okay. it was only four <laughs> phone calls.
0: Yeah, look at they, the sample base. They helped <laughs> us out. Um, so when we talk about innovation, innovation isn't always just product, it's innovation in going to into market in different ways. Um, the one thing we did know over the many years we had been demonstrating ladders is when we demonstrate to people we sell. And an infomercial is a bigger group of people, and we thought, well, we have to. So we did go. And back your demonstration and, experience
1: prior to this had been trade shows. Trade
0: shows, home and garden shows, state county fairs, fairs, those kind of things. And uh and we were a small company. Um, didn't didn't have a lot of money to do what we were about to embark what on. What were your but
1: sales like that?
0: That time we were uh uh, gosh, we had slumped from about 20 million down to around 17 and a half million because the you know economy was uh, in a recession at that time, and so we were, um, you know, small. Um, so here's what happened: we went and made some changes, and uh, the world turned around for us. We grew by 600 percent that year. Um, the next year, we grew by another 500 percent. So you can imagine in two years time uh going from 17 and a half million to 170 million and doing that all in a little teeny facility and uh, i remember that time all all too well because i was over manufacturing at that time i was uh, in operations and we went around the clock um went from building 280 ladders a day to seven thousand ladders a day all in that same tiny little facility and um we were blessed. It was wildly, wildly successful.
1: So you say you were blessed, and and I can understand what you may mean by that because having served on the board of the company at one point, Hal would start board meetings with with prayer, and so I know he was a God fearing man, believed in God, and I can understand that that blessing comes from him. But I also understand you have to work to to receive the blessing. So, what about it? The innovation. What about your demonstration? Because you guys were expert demonstrators. Why did that appeal? in your opinion, in the infomercial market?
0: Um, well, first of all, I think one of the things that really helped was we had Hal as our host, and he had a <laughs> lot of passion for the product. And, uh, you know, you do mention we still today start our management meetings with prayer, and and we believe that, you know, we do have to work hard and do our part. But, um, you know, a little help from beyond is also... Uh, help to what get us where we're at today and will help us to get there in the future. But, um, I, I think, um, we, uh, you know, we applied, uh, work ethic and, um, uh, let's call it the leap of faith in, in about everything that we've, uh, we've been able to, uh, to accomplish. So this was the time in Hal's life
1: to his biggest sales moment, probably. Yeah. Ever, other than this first one when he pulled up to the first show to demonstrate his ladder. Next to that, this was probably a very pinnacle moment for him to do the biggest sales pitch of his life.
0: It absolutely was. And um,
1: and I liked that he was all in because he bet the farm. So he was not just feeling the pressure of that, but he was had to prove... That he was right. He, so was, he he had to believe. He in
0: was him. all in. He risked. I mean, he, he would have given up the farm literally if uh, if it didn't work out. It would have went back to the bank. And um, it, he that's the passion of Hal, right? And and that came through in the infomercial. And of course, we had a great product, which also helps, right? right. Um, an innovative product that does a lot of things and um, that passion for showing and solving problems right so so here's what happened you know you had this great success right so sales went like this Um, but you also have to think about it a very, very popular infomercial, and of which we still run the infomercial today, now almost 18 years later, which is wow. another anomaly because they usually last, if they're good, about 18 months. Um, now, we don't run anywhere near as much media today as we used to. I mean, back then, we were spending a million dollars a week on media, and um, but we were selling, and so we drove sales to all types of retailers. In fact, we ended up selling our product in Home Depot next to the knockoff. Wow. And we were double the price and we were incredibly successful in Home Depot, even at double the price because of that media, because of that, um, you know, that infomercial that really drove demand. I love
1: that. That's really important. You know, often people ask questions about how to price your product. And so many people think they have to price to the lowest cost producer. And when you have a superior product and you're the original, you have a lot of room. This tells me there's a lot of flexibility and a lot of elasticity to be able to price.
0: Well, you know, and and the ability to create value, because I think a lot of times people um, with their product um, don't give it credit, if it's an innovative product, credit for what it will really do, um, you know, what they're going to accomplish with that. And, you know, if you think about somebody buying a, a, a quarter inch drill bit, they really don't want a quarter inch drill bit. What they want is a quarter inch hole. And the reason they want a quarter inch hole is they're going to put an anchor there and put a pitcher on the wall, right? right? So they're not, they really don't care about the bit. They care about the pitcher being hanged, hung on the wall. And so we would take the opportunity to show people what they were going to accomplish with a ladder, not just what you know, the ladder did. And I think that's so that ladder. value of creating value of what is it going to help you do?
1: So it it's not a ladder is a ladder is a ladder. Right. It's, this ladder does yeah. 27 yeah, or 32 different things. It's,
0: you know, the safest, strongest, most versatile ladder in the world. And so there was value that was brought into it. And that's how we could uh, sell for you know, double the one that was, was right there next to it. Now we also sold in interesting places, right? Bed Bath and & Beyond and linens and things. There was so much popularity <laughs> that everybody wanted to sell it. Wow. But what, t- what happened, Craig, is um, what you would expect to happen is in time, enough people had seen it and of course the interest starts to wane. Right. And so we'd taken all of these sales for years and compressed them, which created this bell curve. But you know, after you get to the top, where does it go? <laughs> (laughs) (laughs) It starts coming down. So let me tell you, uh, as we're coming off and you start cutting back on media because you can't afford to keep doing that, well, then the retailers start losing interest. And so you're, you're losing infomercial sales, then retail sales. And at this point, then 2008, we lost the general contractor. So it was kind of boom, boom, boom. We lost all of those. And 2008 uh, because of the
1: financial crisis. Because of the
0: housing crisis, right? All the general contractors were like, I'm not building anything. You know, I mean, people were giving houses away at that point. And so we had kind of the whammy after whammy, you know, three of those in a row. And um, what we decided to do at that point uh, was to. Uh, to innovate. We know we have this one trick pony, but we we can't just rely on that, especially where we've compressed many years of sales into a shorter period of time. And what were your
1: sales about this period of time? I'm just trying to give people perspective. So
0: they start, I mean, from our high of 170-ish, um, boy, you go down into uh, 2000 and... Um, Eight or nine, maybe maybe that clear down to forty, right? So we were never we never went back to where we were pre infomercial because the one thing that did was brand us. Um, but we went you know down a long long ways, and so we had a choice: do we hunker down and just ride out this, or do we innovate and uh, be ready to take market share when the economy turns around, which we knew it would just. Not how long is it going to take, right. and so we decided to innovate. And um, I have an affinity for products. I, I love the innovation process and have blessed been blessed with the ability to uh, to see what could be in products and to listen to pain points and interpolate those into products and the best products solve pain points. Um, But I will tell you, we learned the hard way in innovation. So this is what we're going to do. This is our mantra. We're going to innovate. We brought on some more marketing people and some engineers. And I work specifically with this group to say, well, here we go. Let's, let's get going. And um, we, yeah, I'm curious it. to
1: find out what what you identified as the biggest pain point to go after the biggest potential. Well, I'll tell you what our
0: biggest pain point was initially was not listening to the customer. So we <laughs> spent two years and a lot of money. You think about how far our sales had come down and this was part of our plan and innovating. We spent two years and a lot of money and we created some really, really cool products that nobody wanted. Oh, no. And the reason being is we got ahead of ourselves. They were cool. They were innovative, but they weren't solving anybody's pain points. And so we learned the hard way on that. Um, we had to step back and really analyze what is it that why is it that we're innovating and what is it that we're going to try to accomplish with
1: it? So at this point in your career, you were leading this innovation team.
0: Yeah, I was, um, at that time, I I was uh, promoted from chief operations officer to CEO in 2006. So So in the middle of all this. It was in the middle of all that. and, And that was actually one of the kind of the first big major decisions was, what are we gonna do next? And that was, let's innovate. Um, but, but also I failed at it terribly, um, because we didn't listen to the customer. We just created, we just thought we could sit down and create innovative things, which we did, but it was. I'm glad you did that
1: because normally I have to ask people what their greatest failure is and what they learned from it. But you just told me willingly what it is. Epic
0: failure. absolutely epic failure. Um, so here's the thing that really kind of helped get us going Um, During this time, um, after we'd had these failures, um, we started to realize, okay, wow, we really need to get some people in here and talk about ladder usage and what pain points they have and what struggles and all those types of things um, and really understand the end user. And so we started to do that. We brought a lot of general contractors in here and we showed them some prototypes and so things you're we were So you were looking more industrial on.
1: users, not retail users. Yeah,
0: yeah, okay. we were focusing kind of on the industrial. And um, so we, uh, we brought them in and we started listening and just talking and what challenges and what are you, you know, what kind of thing. And we just, it started opening our minds to so many opportunities with ladders. Um, at the time, uh, at that time, I was on the board of the American Ladder Institute. Today, I'm the president of that uh, group, which is made up of the uh, North American ladder manufacturers. and um, We weren't really talking about the same things on this group that we were hearing from These contractors and safety professionals and all of those, and so I found it interesting because many of them started talking about ladder accidents and how these safety professionals would, you know, have to go to the families of somebody that was either killed or severely injured in a ladder accident. Ultimately learned through this whole process, um, and and I couldn't believe that we weren't talking about this in the the American Ladder Institute, that there's 2,000 ladder accidents every day and 100 disabilities from those accidents and a death every day. And I thought, how in the world could we be part of an industry that somehow finds this acceptable. You know, if it was the airline industry, there'd be congressional hearings every day about right. how to solve this problem. But <laughs> right. apparently since it's ladders, it must be okay. Um, and I was just, just really, really surprised. We learned from these different uh, professionals. At the same time, I'd been reading a book by Simon Sinek called Start With Why. It's a fascinating book. Highly recommend it to anybody in business. The premise is, is that people don't buy what you do, they buy why you do it. And I'm an all-in believer on that. Um, in fact, I give a lot of credit to Simon Senek for much of the success, he doesn't know this, but the success <laughs> we've had, had. because we, you know, that started us on a path. Um, and so all of this is kind of happening and, and I finished the book and went to the rest of our management team and I asked them to read it with me, not literally sit down and read it. But so we, we made a weekly meeting where we'd read a couple chapters, get together, talk about it till we got done. We said, we're going to create our why. Um, and so we got all the way through and we've, We've got it, guys. This is this is our why. And I'm going to be embarrassed to tell you <laughs> what I thought it was or okay. what we thought it was, but I'm going to tell you. I appreciate your honesty. <laughs> I'm going to tell you. So we get through the whole thing and uh, we say, okay, our why is chasing excellence. Now, if you've read the book, you'd say, that's a terrible why. Right? Right. And it was. But we had all the justification in the world chasing, may, you know, you're doing things with speed and excellence <laughs> right. is never attainable. So you're going to have these, you're always going to be moving the bar up on your products and. Right. But it, you know, today I, I just cringe to think that we actually it's accepted inspirational, was not concrete <laughs> enough to do any not measure. So it, right? yeah, there's really like not, it just feel good with some justification. So anyway, we go. Okay, that's our why chasing excellence. And a few weeks later, I'm getting on a plane to come back to to Utah and uh, I get a, a phone call from Ted Hartman, who was our uh, um, marketing coordinator at the time. And uh, he just says, hey, uh, can't we can't do it. And I said, can't do what? And he's like, we can't do the whole chasing excellence thing. <laughs> and I said, I'm so glad you called me because I feel the same way. And, uh, I said, I don't feel anything when we say it. And he's like, we don't either. And we don't get like how to promote it or anything. And I said, super, let's read the book again. So (laughs) we all got together, we read the book again, we went through the whole exercise. And this time when we got done, when we said it, we felt that we had to have no rationalization. And that was, our why was preventing injuries and saving lives. I took a picture
1: in your boardroom of that on the wall this morning, I thought, okay, this is this is the why.
0: And I will tell you, it was a reinvigorating turning point for little giant ladders. Because you think about it now, we don't just get up to build ladders to sell ladders. We get up to get the one guy home tonight to play soccer with his kids or go to his daughter's piano recital or take his wife out on a date. That's what we do. Wow. We do it through better climbing equipment. Right. And so it now drove all the decision making in innovation. We're not going to innovate anything unless it helps to prevent an injury and save a life. Right. It has to make the product safer. And it's interesting that you did this by not being
1: sued by someone forcing you to do it. No, no, no. Usually no, no. a lot of that this comes to do with it, that. Right? We actually have
0: very, very low uh, incident rates with our products. Right. It so probably it, did from the beginning. Oh, from the beginning. It's been, you know, inherent in our design and quality and all of that. But we realized um, that by having this why, it could lead our innovation. But not just that, everything we do in the company, mm-hmm. right? So there's signs out in the facility that says every rivet, every weld, every person matters, right? So those building the product knowing that, hey, people are going to climb this, And understanding kind of that, um, I I don't want to say that we embraced those statistics, but we kind of did. That 2,000 injuries a day, 100 disabilities. We just said, let's not shy away from this. Let's embrace it and see if we can lower it. And so it invigorated the company. And now everybody comes to work knowing, hey, we're just trying to get that one guy home at night that might not come home. And that's our why. And how did that translate
1: into sales then?
0: Oh, the the thing that was, so think about that um, kind of beacon to product innovation and then taking those those innovative products back to um, these safety professionals that came here or the ones that we visited with all over this country and shown them, hey, we listen to you. We heard, so we took the five leading causes of ladder accidents, identified how and why they're happening. Most of them really are um, basically just human traits where we're overreaching. So we make products that if you're going to overreach, we still discourage it, but we know that people do it, <laughs> right? We make it harder for them to get hurt doing it, right? So we kind of protect them from themselves. You know, we have a ground cue at the bottom of the ladder. 25% of ladder accidents are missing the bottom rung while descending. Wow. And so we now have an audible tactile ground cue that when you're going up and down, you hear that and you know, oh, okay, I'm safe to step there. off. I could go on and on about all of these innovations we have. Most people, when you tell them you innovate a ladder, they look at you like, yeah, how are you what do could that? you possibly do? <laughs> Isn't it like rails and rungs? And, and we show them what we have and they're just their minds are like, wow, I had no idea you could do all this with a ladder. And so we have you know, a full-on innovation team, a whole group of engineers now. We lead the world in ladder innovation. Um, we are, are the benchmark for uh, ladder innovation that really helps from a safety perspective, but then we also learned something else that's really, really critical is safety is very important to um, safety professionals, not Important. Well, we everybody wants a safe ladder, but a lot of people are saying, Hey, I use a ladder to get a job done, right? And so, it's also critical to understand that it's we have this kind of mantra faster, safer, right? They need to be able to get their job done quickly. Whether you're doing it for yourself or you're making a living by that, people want to get it done quickly, but they also want to. Uh, make sure they're safe in doing that. And so we've designed all of these products that really do make it to where they can be highly productive, yet safer at the same time. And so having that why helped really in product innovation, because that drove all of these new sales for people that were looking for answers to this problem. Right. But
1: you mentioned, and so I'm curious, because I think this might be a key for some people, The the safety people, do they make the buying decisions and who makes the buying decisions and how do you get going from the safety perspective to getting companies to adopt your product, not only from a safety standpoint, but from a function and and a cost-effective manner? Because you're probably going to be more expensive than your competition.
0: We are. We are. Um, Innovation costs money. Pioneering new products costs money. Marketing costs money. Uh, you know, all of those things make you more expensive. Um, And so I will tell you, that's not an easy approach. But what we did is we took our products to the safety professionals. And for the first time, they said, wow, somebody actually listened to me. (laughs) So we made friends very, very quickly. And we did this in many, many industries. But then we would get them some sample products. And they would get them in the hands of their users. And the experiences they were having and seeing, you know, another ladder, uh, in fact, one of the leading causes of ladder accidents is the weight of carrying extension ladder. Back injuries, neck injuries, shoulder injuries, knee injuries from carrying those big old extension ladders. We reduced the weight by 25%. Wow. So you can imagine end users going, uh, no, I don't want my, I, I know I'm field trialing this one, but I don't want my old but ladder I can give back. It back. <laughs> this, this is way better, right? <laughs> so that would kind of just spread through and so, we, we had to do a lot of long, I mean, years of expensive legwork to get these products in the hands of people. And now people see them all over and like, oh, yeah, I want that. I want that. And so we did take it to the safety professional because he has influence when it comes to, you think about it, injuries and accidents are a cost, a business cost. Right. And so right, well, they um, start adding, adding their disability costs. Right. You start yeah. adding lost work time, right? All of that procurement's going to take a different route. They're going to say, hey, well, I'm incentivized to buy cheaper products. Well, that's where we use these safety professionals as our leverage in those companies to say, hey, time out here. I'm incentivized to reduce costs due to accident and injury. Um, and so those working together, ultimately, it's it's been Combine able to work. Their budgets <laughs> and yeah. they can so, afford it. So, you know, and then some of that stuff is carrying on, on into retail now because, you know, most DIYers or weekend warriors, homeowners, they want to have good quality products and they also have day jobs and they see what's out there in the professional world. And many people that use a, a DeWalt drill in their day job also have one for their home. Right. right? You know, so th- I think we're having a lot of success and, and people also appreciate innovation. They, they, they will pay for it, and we've proven that over and over, is that they will pay for innovation that solves solves problems. Um, it's, it's riskier and harder. Um, the one other thing that I think that really helped in our favor, you think about ladders, right? It's probably maybe one of the first tools ever invented. We joke that Adam and Eve used a ladder to get the fruit, but... Um, <laughs> probably wasn't. Um, but well, if was you think about it. a fairly new well, tree, so it might have been short. <laughs> yeah, it might have been short. Um, but you've seen pictures from Anasazi ruins or whatever, where there's old ladders uh, yeah. there, right? So ladders have been... Ladders were invented. They were invented before the wheel. So we're talking about a category that is thousands of years old. And um, and I think that's why the industry is so stale is because it's just kind of commoditized it. You'll see on Black Friday, a ladder for $19, right? You can't buy the materials for $19, let alone retail it for that. But that's a whole other discussion. <laughs> People have taken what we view as a life-saving tool and thrown, uh, put it into this throwaway category, um, which we just said, we're going to take a different approach because we believe that human life Uh, Values more than a throwaway item and that we're going to take this approach where we're going to help you work safer but also more efficiently. Um, And it will cost a little bit of a premium, but we have found that people are willing to uh, pay for that. And that's every day. We we have the most expensive ladder and yet we're growing year over year over year. We're a 48-year-old company now with... uh, I mentioned to you the last three years in a row, twenty percent year over year over year. In the last, at, at a forty-eight year old company, we're we're blessed, and it's um, it's working because there is an appreciation because of branding.
1: Then innovate on top of that branding, and you bring the why. You bring so that, that everybody understands. Te- you
0: bring that all together, and it's that it, it's that listening to the customer. Right. right? One of our products, um, there was a company in Salt Lake that came down, a safety professional, described the problems he was having. One of our, uh, in fact, the, the most expensive product we sell today was a direct result of listening to that safety professional. And that is now going all over the world um, being used. And it was because we listened to a problem he was having. And we, we innovated based on solving that specific uh, need. So it's the combination of those, those right. things of truly understanding the customer.
1: You know, it's my belief that problems require truth to solve the problem. And then if you take the premise that I believe and that truth resonates with people. So the truth resonates with the users of your product or they wouldn't be continuing to order it. And so when you're able to solve the problem with the truth and get the truth out, then there's no sales pitch, there's no sales job. There might be some marketing, there might Mm be some marketing channels and that, but now you've solved probably one of the business's biggest problems is how do you distinguish yourself? And you did it, how to solve the problem. Now, you solved a different problem for me. You know, as I look at business owners and the BizSherpa podcast, I typically will see people who started on their own or who are third or fourth or second generation in the family. You're unique in the sense that you're not a member of the Wing family who founded Little Giant Ladder Systems, and you still became a business owner. Tell me a little bit about what that was like and what that means to you.
0: Well, uh, first of all, I don't take it lightly because I understand outside of uh, Hal and Brigetta who founded the company and their children um, who had ownership in the in the business after uh, Hal and Brigetta passed, uh, that I was the only one outside of the family to have um, ownership in the business. And so I don't take it lightly. Um, I do feel uh, very, very blessed to have had the opportunity um, to participate in, in ownership. And I will tell you that it, for me, when you have that little mind shift of that, hey, this is partly mine, right? I was a minority stake in it, but, but every decision I make is also directly affecting me. That it, um, I think it does uh, change your decision-making some. Although I felt like um, the reason that I got it in the first place um, and mine came in buckets over the years. I mentioned I've been here for 37 years. And right. so it came in, you know, not at all at once in, in, right. in uh, some uh, along the way that even when I first started, um, I still tried to work as if it really meant something because it did. You know, I mean, I was just taught that if you're going to do a job, you do it right, right. and, and you dedicated. get in and do it and right. be dedicated I I went the first, and I wouldn't recommend this to anybody, the first 16 years that I worked at Little Giant without taking a vacation day, I went 30 years without taking a sick day, and I can promise you I was sick, Um, (laughs) and I wouldn't recommend that, right? I don't know that that was the right approach, but it worked for me, and and I know that Hal saw that dedication. He saw the problem-solving. He saw the initiative and he didn't want to lose it right as a business owner he did not want to to uh, to lose that and so you know i think the first thing he did uh, even before stock initially was like hey i'm going to uh, i'm going to pay for a whole life uh, insurance policy for you as this golden handcuffs as long as you're here you have this kind of thing and and then he just saw in time that i need to make him more and more a part of this i think part of my success also um and I've tried to help our, our people understand that. It doesn't, not that Hal had every answer because he didn't. He had a lot of people to help him right. grow this business. Um, but I did try to understand him and the way he thought um, And I could pretty much finish his sentences. I knew what (laughs) the way he thought about certain things. So if a problem came up, I could pretty much tell you, I know exactly how he would address. And and, and 99.9% of the time I was spot on because I made it a point to understand the way he viewed business and the way he viewed problem solving and the way he would view spending money, those kinds of things, right?
1: So you aligned yourself with the values of the ownership and yeah. that put you in a
0: position to be an owner. Yeah, it's like, hey, he's acting just right. like we are right. and seeing things the way we are. That doesn't mean I didn't have opinion. Many times, Hal would come to me with the problem and say, what do you think we should do? And I would tell him and he would say, I think you're right. Wow. And we would do it, right? He wouldn't always come in with, many times he wouldn't come in with the answer. He would come and ask me, what do you think we should do? And um, and so it wasn't that I was just yes man on everything. Yeah. It was, I'll bring, I'll give you a perspective and let's share perspectives and let's come to, a, uh, but I felt like it was important to understand that. I got to the point, um, and we laugh about this a little bit and a few others in the company that have been here a long time, depending on what he was wearing when he came into the building, <laughs> you knew exactly the mood he was in. And so you would know whether to be in another part of the building, <laughs> or it, if you were going to be right. be around him. And so I think, um, you know, maybe you don't have to quite know the person that that well, but for us, it was, um, you know, in my case, I felt like really understanding him um, helped me to uh, propel my career here, and then ultimate ownership and. And so, um, can I, I'm going
1: to, I'm going to say something that you wouldn't say about yourself, but I, I wonder what your reaction to this statement would be. And you used this earlier when you were talking about the product, you talked about adding value. You might be dedicated that could add value, but you said it alone, not, not taking a vacation for 16 years, you don't recommend. And it doesn't necessarily add value unless those are productive dedication That's exactly right. and being able to align yourself with the philosophy of ownership qualifies you to be an owner potentially but probably people get ownership or succeed in business because they add value to the company to the product and ultimately to the lives of the people who benefit from the product how do you react to that uh, I know I'm embarrassing you because you probably wouldn't say You're that, right. Um, but what I heard today is a story of someone who added value.
0: You know, I mean, that's the thing is people, people get... It's the difference between getting a cost of living raise and a raise, right? You know, <laughs> cost of living is you existed, you did okay, you know. Right. Whatever. You didn't, you didn't stub your toe too many times. Yeah. Right? And 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 I should be I should be careful on that because there's times in a business cycle to where maybe you can't do more than a cost of living and so you just right. do that. But there are those who get a raise because they brought value. They brought something to the company and you shared with them what they brought. Um, I, I would say, you know, um, I have been fortunate um, to um, have ideas, um, uh, products that have been developed, um, things that have truly brought value to Uh, to the company. And I've been fortunate that way. And, uh, and, and I can't say this without saying that I feel like I've been blessed, but I've also worked hard for it. It has to be a combination of, um, you know, uh, luck. What is the saying that luck is when uh, preparedness meets opportunity, right? So I, I, there's definitely a combination of that, but, but you are right. I mean, if, if it's not perceived that you're bringing value, uh, people won't give you something of value, right? right. It's an ex- It really is an exchange for value for value.
1: And I think that is the greatest lesson we can take today. Ryan, I appreciate your time. This has been very insightful, very rewarding to me, and it will be to all the viewers as, as they watch this video. I think it's amazing the value that you've been able to add, and it not only has Bless many lives with the safety and, and the uh, penetration that you've been able to do and the thought of somebody going home tonight to their family because they were more safe on the job because of the innovation of the company you preside over, but also I look at it and say that you add value to the company every day. The fact that you would admit that you were wrong on the why and then go through the exercise twice tells me not only are you dedicated but you're humble enough to know that when you don't have it right, you need to do what it takes to add that value. I appreciate that. It's, it's one of the greatest lessons, greatest examples that I've ever seen. And I well, know that this will mean a lot.
0: Thank you. One, one thing that I tell everybody that comes to our facility and this particular facility is a quarter million square feet is we have some big rooms in this facility, but the biggest room is the room for improvement. And <laughs> I think if we own up to that, Life is a lot better. Yeah, sure, we all have egos, and we all, all want to put on the face that we know what we're doing. And truthfully, no, none of us faced 2020 ever before, right? And all you right. just have to do your best and have to recognize your weakness and shortcomings. And, and I actually feel like um, there's nothing, there shouldn't be anything wrong with sharing your failures, because we learn more from our failures than we do our successes. And if more people are open about those, um, we could, I think, uh, accelerate business growth by being willing to uh, to share those with each other and to, to recognize that we learned it's not really a failure unless you don't get back up. If you stay down, it's For a failure. I, but but so, if you get back up, it's a success. But so
1: often we think when we do fall down, we're going to get fired anyway. And so it's kind of hard to own up to it. It can be. But I think you're a great example of that. 37 years with a company, and I think there's some rewards that you've experienced recently. And I'll be talking with uh, one of your partners in this house on art, and he'll tell us a little bit more about what happened with the sale of this business yeah. this last year and how you rolled some your equity and stayed in. But I commend you for your example. I'm grateful that you'd be a guest today on our show. Thank you. Thanks for, thanks for taking Thank the you. time. I know you're busy. And it's a busy time of year. And I do know Ryan's leaving next week to go on a vacation to the beach. I am. I just, you know,
0: I'll tell you this. I would close on this note. I have learned that not taking a vacation actually was hampering. And that many, um, in fact, most of these people here uh, dread the fact when I go because I come back with, after all I've all relaxed of for a couple of days, I've had all <laughs> kinds of ideas. And they're like, oh boy, here we go. But, <laughs> but I truly have had some of... Um, uh, what I would consider my best um, thought processes and things that have helped the business while I've been on a beach, um, and so you can't spend all your time there. But if you if you block that out, it is amazing how the subconscious will take over when you kind of pull away from the daily grind.
1: And there's a lo- there's a lot to that. I finished reading a book recently, the Essentialism by Greg McKeown, and it's a great book if you haven't read it. And it kind of subscribes to that when you do less but better. Yeah. And uh, I think that's something we can all strive for. Well, Ryan, I appreciate your time. This is really meaningful. I'm glad our friendship continues through the years and that you respond to my call to be a guest. This is Craig Willett, the Biz Sherpa. Thanks for joining us today.
0: Be sure to go to our website to access the resources related to this episode at www.bizsherpa.co. If you enjoyed this show, tell your friends about us and be sure to rate our podcast. Craig would like to hear from you, so share your thoughts in the Facebook community at bizsherpa.co. Follow us on Twitter at bizsherpa underscore co and on Instagram at bizsherpa.co.